Welcome to Grace Covenant Church, D.C. You're listening to our weekly sermon podcast. We hope that you enjoyed this message. Great, great. I know this month the theme has been uh, Gen Next, and a lot of what uh, our pastors have been preaching is really how do we transition uh, from one generation to the next. And so for purposes of this message today, uh, my heart is going to be addressing two different generations, Uh, a generation that's thirsty to drink, uh, and more importantly, a generation that's more thirsty to become a drink. And so the topic or the title of this message is actually, how thirsty are you to become a drink? Just look at your neighbor and say that, how thirsty are you to become a drink? How thirsty are you? Most times we're thirsty for a drink, right? I'm parched, I'm dry, I'm tired, I need something to drink. This message is how thirsty are you to become a drink? And so we're going to pick up um, in John 4, verses 1 through 5. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to that. I think they may even have it on the screen for you. Now, I was telling the first uh, service that, you know, the font, not only do they have multiple translations of the Bible, but they got multiple fonts of the Bible. And so my font's like maybe a six now. So I got to I got to adjust it with these um, these devices I have on. <laughs> Love old age. Therefore, verse one, therefore, when the Lord knew that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John. Although Jesus himself was not baptizing, but his disciples were. He left Judea and went away again unto Galilee. Verse 4, and he said to, and he had to pass through Samaria. He had to pass through Samaria. Verse 5, so he came to a city of Samaria called Sychar, near the parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. And Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, being wearied from his journey, was sitting thus by the well. It was about the sixth hour. Verse 7, there came a woman of Samaria to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Therefore, the Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, being a Jew, ask me for a drink, since I am a Samaritan woman? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered and said to her, if you knew, the gift of God, and who it is who says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. She says to him, sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where do you get the living water? Verse 12, you are no greater than our fathers Jacob, are you, who gave us the well and drank of it himself and his sons and his cattle? Jesus answered and said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will thirst again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him shall never thirst, but the water that I will give him will become in him a well of water springing up to eternal life. In verse 15, the woman said to him, sir, give me this water so I will not be thirsty nor come all the way here to draw. Sir. Give me this water so I will not be thirsty nor come here again. 
Father, I thank you for your word today. Lord, I pray that the heart behind this message, Lord, that there is a desire and a need to drink. But Lord, I pray that we would become a people who would become that drink. Lord, I thank you for clarity and communication. I thank you for your spirit to have your way in this moment. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Great. So again, the two points that I really desire to make today is one, there is a need in the church to drink. There is a need, there is a thirst that we have as a church to drink, whether it's physical, natural water or spiritual water. And then the second point is how do we transition from that need of drinking and watering our own selves to becoming that drink to water someone else's soul? Amen. And so the first point is we, we see Jesus in this moment. He's, he's wearied. He's tired. You know, I love John and how John gives uh, the great, a great depiction of the humanity of Christ, that we don't just see him as this supernatural person, all-powerful and all-present, but he, he, he has emotions like humans. And here he is after traveling quite a distance. He's traveling from Judea to, to Galilee, but it says he needed to go to Samaria. Now, typically in understanding the cultural challenge, the challenges between Samaritans and Jews, they didn't like each other. You know, it's kind of like you may be with your own neighbor, right? Or members of your family or everyone gets along. But, but most Jews oftentimes would kind of detour through Samaria. So if they're going to uh, Galilee and they're in Judea, they would typically go around. Jesus in that moment said, I need to go through Samaria because there's an appointment, there's a moment that I need to have with this woman. It was a divine appointment. And so he goes to Samaria and he encounters this woman at the well and he's thirsty. He's thirsty. He's tired. He's traveled I don't know distance wise, but I know looking at the numbers from from Galilee, from Judea to Galilee is roughly about 70 miles. And they didn't have Uber. They didn't have Lyft. They didn't have cabs and where you could just catch a ride with someone. Typically, the way you would travel is you would walk. So he is he's tired. He's weary. He's thirsty. He's naturally thirsty. But I believe in this moment, as naturally thirsty as he is, He's more thirsty to produce in this woman something that will quench not just her thirst, but feed the thirst of other people. And so he says, give me a drink. And she says, sir, you're a Jew. I'm a Samaritan. We don't even relate with each other. How is it that you asking me for a drink? He says, huh, your mind is still on natural water. If you knew the gifts of God, And who it was who was asking you for a drink, you would then ask him for living water. And I think that's important. It's not just that we're thirsty. And I mean, by what I mean by thirsty, there is a natural thirst. Anyone ever just been naturally thirsty? Where your your mouth is just parched, dry, your your tongue stuck to the top of your mouth. You you got the white balls coming. Am I getting too graphic? (laughs) Your breath just smells just bad. <laughs> you know, just, just thirsty. You're really thirsty. 
And, it, and, and we, as much as we play around with our natural thirst, our spiritual life can look like that too. That we can be spiritually dehydrated. And, and as much as we are dry, as much as we need water, natural water, we need spiritual water. And so it is, it is important, it is critical that we drink. I'm not, I'm not taking away the importance of drinking. Jesus at that moment had asked for a drink, but his mindset, his, his intent, his motivation was not that he would get water for his own soul, but that he would produce something in this woman to water her soul and water someone else's soul. And so I'm going to go in the Old Testament and kind of give some more context of really what does it not just mean to be thirsty? Because thirst, thirsty, thirstiness can, can produce in different ways. And, you know, I, I know the first service, this message can sometimes be offensive. And I don't mean it to be offensive, but if the Holy Spirit wants it to be offensive, then I'm going to let it happen. <laughs> but I, I want to make sure that as much as we're, we're capturing the understanding of being thirsty, sometimes being spiritually thirsty can produce things out of us that God wants to deal with, but more importantly, allow us to become that drink to the next generation. And so in, in, in Genesis, I'm sorry, in Exodus 15, and there's three different verses. Exodus is not on the screen, but Exodus 15, 17, and Numbers 20. There are three moments. Say three moments. There are three moments in the nation of Israel. Israel is a nation. If you want to see the prince of Egypt, you, you see this huge miracle. God parts the Red Sea. Uh, the, the Israelites cross the, the Red Sea, and they're brought into the promises. They're brought into the wilderness. God had just did a miracle for them. And so they had just witnessed a, a supernatural miracle, and they come into this place where it's dry. It's a wilderness. There's no water. There's no water. And typically when there's no water around or things are dry, the first response is grumbling. And, and for them, they looked at who was in charge, Moses. And so they grumbled against Moses. They said, man, yeah, the miracle was great. You parted the Red Sea, but where is the water at now? You done brought us out of Egypt. We're now at this dry place. We're in the wilderness of Shur. Where's the water? And I think sometimes we'll witness the miracles of God and all these things that happen. But then when we get to another place where it's dry, we're asking the same question. Where is the water, Jesus? Where is the water, Lord? And so they come to this place where they're asking Moses, where is this water? And Moses says, I don't know, but I know who does. And so he goes to the Lord. and He says, Lord, you brought us here. We've been waiting here for three days. It's dry. God says, look. There's a river. Take a tree, throw it in the river. I know the water's bitter, but I'll make it sweet. And so Moses takes the tree, throws it in the water, and I'm kind of speeding up a little bit, but he turns what was bitter into what was sweet. That oftentimes there is water available, but it's not the right water. And God can change that like he did with that moment. And so we fast forward. Now we're in Exodus 15, um, Exodus 17, excuse me, and it's the same situation. They've now come into another wilderness and they're camping around Rephidim and they're at that same place where they're thirsty. They're thirsty again and it's a dry place. And then they grumble. <laughs> they grumble, they grumble, they grumble. 
Same thing, same emotion being produced out of the lack of water, right? And so they complain, they grumble. Moses says, Lord, this is like the second time they're grumbling now. You thought they'd have got it with Egypt. Now they didn't get it in the wilderness. We're here again. And so God says, look, I hear you. Take your staff, touch the rock. It will produce rivers of water. And it's important, and I didn't give this context, but we're not talking about a small population here. The nation of Israel, the Bible says they were 600, and that didn't include women and children. So when you're leading people and you've got 600 plus women and kids, which could be estimated between 1.5 to 2 million, you've got 2 million people grumbling against you asking for water. How would you feel? Not even having a solution to it. You would turn to God. And that's sometimes how our problems are. And so, again, Moses goes to the Lord and says, Lord, we're here again. And he tells him to touch a rock. The rock produces water. Everyone gets dealt. Everyone gets the water. They get the drink. And it's the third time they find themselves once again in the wilderness. And this time, the grumbling is just overbearing. Moses is at his end. You've ever been in a place where you just help someone out, not just one time, two times, but they now come back to you and they're asking for the same thing? Is it just me? You, you need a drink, but the person who's crying out for you is like, yo, I need a drink, and I got nothing to give you, but what do I do? We're talking about 1.5 million or more people grumbling, and they just witnessed multiple miracles. God says, you know what? Do it again. Touch the rock, produce the water, but this time make it as though I did it. Moses is so frustrated, he says, shall we make this or shall we produce water out of this rock? Kind of giving a quick version of it. This time, because of the frustration and everything, water was produced, but it wasn't produced the way God desired it. And oftentimes I feel like our own spiritual depravity, when we, when we are not drinking enough, when we are not tapping into that, that living water, those streams of living water that Jesus is saying and he's making available to us, it makes our situation even worse. The, the one response this third time around was that was the reason why they couldn't enter into the promised land. Their disobedience, their frustration, their, their lack of what God had desired them to do. And so my, my heart in this message today is not that we are people who are thirsty. It is, it, is, it is important that we have that thirst, we have a desire to drink, but more importantly, we become a drink for a thirsty generation. And so what does it look like to drink? You know, we've been talking about thirst, but now what does it look like to drink, right? Zechariah, I'm sorry, Jeremiah 2.13. You know, Jesus in the garden, he's talking to this lady and he asked her, he said, if you knew the gifts of God and who it was that was asking you for a drink, you would have asked him for living water. And in that moment, if you can put it up, Zechariah 2, I'm sorry, Jeremiah 2.13, for my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, what? To hew for themselves what? Broken cisterns that cannot hold water. 
You know, anyone ever drink water out of a broken cup? Is that like possible? If you got a cup with a hole at the bottom of it, how helpful is it to drink out of? Oftentimes we're trying to help people, but in our helping someone, we've got a hole in our own cup. We can't produce something in the life of someone else because it's been yet to been produced in our own life. And that is what Jesus was trying to communicate to this lady is that you're so captured on what you can't even supernaturally see. You're still telling me, well, you don't have nothing in your hand to draw with and the well is too deep. He says, I'm not talking about natural water. I'm talking about spiritual water, the gifts of God, salvation, that there is a purpose that God has for you. The process of getting from the natural place where in your mind you're still needy, you're still grumbling, you're still thirsty like the Israelites to that place of repentance and recognizing, God, I've forsaken you. I have forsaken you in my own desires as, as the Israelites were. They had forsaken what God was trying to do in their nation for their own selfish desires. They needed natural water. But in their need for natural water, they forfeited their ability to go into the promised land. And I believe sometimes in our natural desires, God is trying to produce something supernatural in us for the sake of someone else. And so we've got to be conscious. We've got to be aware, not just of the need to drink because of our own supernatural or spiritual, excuse me, our own physical and spiritual thirst but also the desire to know what it means to drink. And then my last point is really, what does it mean to become a drink? Like, how do we become a drink for the nation? How do we become a drink for the world? You know, it's one thing to drink. Jesus, even in his own intentions, I believe he was thirsty. The Bible says he was weary. But as much as he was thirsty and weary, he was more thirsty for this woman to become a drink for so many other people. And if you go on and read it, and he goes on, he's talking to her, and he's like, okay, you're still caught on this natural thing. You're looking for something to draw water with. He gives her a word of knowledge. He says, you know what, I'll tell you what. Go tell your husband. And she says, well, I don't know. You've had five husbands, and the one that you're with is not yours. So he didn't give her a word of knowledge. He's breaking her off. He's trying to get that stuff out of her. And I love how Jesus does. He, will, he was talking to Nicodemus in verse, he'll talk to anybody because of what he's desiring to be produced in everybody. And he goes to her and he tells her, you know what, go tell. And she goes back and they're having this conversation back and forth about uh, 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 history and traditions and Jacob's well. And he's still like, you're still caught on tradition. You're still caught on what does it mean to naturally drink from a cup where I'm trying to get you to understand what it means to spiritually drink from me. And he says, I'll tell you what. Woman, believe, verse 21, and it's not up there. Verse 21, Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, an hour is coming where neither in the mountain in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know, natural water. We worship what we know. For salvation is from the Jews, but an hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For such people, the Father seeks to be his worshipers. He was trying to transition 
her natural train of thought to seeing what he was seeing in this moment. And she got it. And you know how I know she got it? If you go down to verse 28, so the woman left her water pot and went into the city and said to the men, come see a man who told me all the things that I've done. This is not the Christ, is it? She transitions. She leaves her container there and becomes a container. She leaves the water pot and becomes that living water pot. And we can read on, which is verse 39, because the proof is in the pudding. From that city, many of the Samaritans believed in him because of the word of the woman who testified. He told me all the things that I have done. You know, it's something that I believe we all have. We all have needs. We all have physical needs. We need to drink. Water is important. That's why you can't go a day without drinking it. If you do, you'll have some problems. But, but as much as we, we, we seek the desire for drinking natural water, there's also that desire to drink spiritual water. And that spiritual water could be discipleship. It could be growing in the word. It could be prayer. There's so many different things that we desire from the church. We desire from Jesus. And he's loving and kind enough and he's, he's overwhelming enough to give us all of what we're desiring. But the question is, in as much as we're desiring, what are we desiring to do with that? As thirsty as we are for that drink, that, that revelation, that prayer, that word, that kind of discipleship, how greater are we thirsty to become the same thing which we're thirsty for for someone else? Because we can always have our hand out looking for something, but we've got to take that and give it to someone else. She got it. She, as much as she was thirsty, she became that which she was thirsty for. She was consciously aware of the need to change. And so for all of us, it is my heart that we would become not just a generation who's thirsty for water, who's thirsty for a drink, but that we would become a generation thirsty to become a drink. Because there is a world out there right now. You can, you can watch it on the news. You can see it in relationships. You can talk to people. There is so much dryness. There's so many cracks. There's so many wilderness and deserts out here that, that are just crying out for a drink. And if we think that the world is the solution to that, that's the problem. And so we've got to capture that. We've got to capture that. And so my heart today, as we begin to think about and transition to what does it mean to becoming a drink, is recognizing we've got to drink. It's important to drink. It's important to, to thirst but more importantly, in our thirstiness and our drinking, the next thing is becoming that drink. And I'm going to give you a revelation that I got because like you and like myself, I know what it means to be spiritually deprived. I know what it means when, when even in your own soul, you wake up mornings and it's just dry. You press into the Lord. You're seeking for uh, water water in relationships, water in your health, water in your finances, and it's just dry. There's a drought. 
There's a famine. And as much as you are looking for a river to flow even into your own life, into your finances, into your health, it's dry, it's shut off. I was in a moment like that. And the Lord directed me to Ezekiel 47. And it was one of those moments where it was like, God, I get it. I get it. And it goes in and it talks about the prophet Ezekiel. And he's, he's not in a good place. This is right after Israel had been freed and they were going, but they had just entered into the exile. They were in exile in Babylon. And so the temple of the Lord had been torn down and been destroyed. And so the tone of that whole book was about God trying to reestablish something. And even in our mindsets, we can think there's a, a, a natural something that we want to see. Like, like Pastor Rich said, there's things that we want to see naturally. But God's saying, I got to do this supernaturally. And so here you have Ezekiel the prophet. He is having this image. He's having this vision of this temple. There's a temple that he sees, and it says that he was captured, and he saw that there was water flowing from this place, that there was water flowing from the threshold of the door. And as the water was flowing down, flowing down, it was flowing and flowing and flowing, and the further it went away from the temple, the deeper the water got. And then he goes in and he talks about it, and I'm going to read it. Verse 7, now when I had returned, behold, on the bank of the river, there were many trees on the one side and on the other side. And he's going and he's talking about this, this river that has been flowing and flowing. And there are trees that he sees that are camped aside this river. And then he says, these waters go out towards the eastern region and go down into the Arabah, which is the Dead Sea. And I'll come back and talk about the significance of the Dead Sea in this passage. Then they go towards the sea, being made to flow into the sea. And the waters of the sea become fresh. And the waters of the sea become fresh. It will come about that every living creature which swarms in every place where the river goes will live. And there will be very many fish for these waters go there and others become fresh. So everything will live where the rivers go. I would encourage you when you have a chance to go back and read that book, Ezekiel 47. But it talks about this river that's flowing and it's flowing into the Dead Sea. And if anyone understands uh, the, the significance in, in the Dead Sea, the Dead Sea is, is a sea that, that is comprised of or is made up of just huge quantities of salt. The salt composition of the, the salt, the, the amount of salt that's in the Dead Sea makes it almost impossible to have life. That life cannot exist because of the, I'm trying to find the right word, but life cannot exist because of the amount of salt that's in the sea. It's that salty. Like literally, you could go there, and this has been documented, that you could float just laying in it. It's that, that there is that much salt in this sea. And so because of the salt, or the saltiness, it's almost impossible for life to exist. But it says with this, there's this temple and the water that's flowing from the temple. Let me give you a comment. Jesus said this, 
destroy this temple and I'll rebuild it in three days. Jesus has always established us as the temple. And so when you're thinking about this, don't say, and I'm saying that because I don't want you to think about a natural temple. Think about yourself being this temple. He says that there's this temple and this water's flowing out of this temple and it's flowing down into the Dead Sea. And when it hits the saltiness of the Dead Sea, the saltiness becomes fresh water. That which could not produce life, that which was naturally impossible to create life, when this water flows from the temple to hit it, it can produce something that is living. Y'all, we are the temples. We are the temples. That, that, that is no longer about, this goes back to what Pastor talked about in the first, first week of this. We've got, to, we've got to transition out of the mindset of this great temple and we see it. God is calling us to be that temple. And that he's not just desiring for us to be that temple, but he's desiring for liver, rivers of living water to be produced out of us so that it can sustain the next person. There are people right now in, in your sphere of influence that are striving, that are dying right now of spiritual dehydration. They are looking to drink. They are looking for something to drink. They are looking for water. But the problem is, where are you at? Are you still looking to quench your own thirst? Or are you looking to become a drink for that person? The reality is, and I said this, it's not I, I am not as much afraid. My fear is not that we are a generation that's thirsty to drink, but that we become a generation that misses a generation that's thirsty to drink. It's not that we don't desire to drink, but if in our own Christian walk and who we are, if we just get stuck with just wanting to drink and we miss out on the opportunity to become a drink, for the next generation, we've missed it as a church. We've missed it as a church. And I believe that God is trying to revive the church. He's trying to establish the church in a place where we don't just drink anymore, but we become that drink. Amen. And so my prayer today is not that we just drink, but we become a generation that becomes a drink to someone else. If that's you this morning, you can just raise your hand or you can stand up. Lord, I thank you right now. Everyone, just stand up. We all stand up. I think we all need a drink. I think sometimes, and I was, I was using the analogy, sometimes we, we kind of treat our own spiritual walk like driving in a car where the E-light comes on. Everyone ever been in a car where you watch your gas thing and, and it's on E, and then you know how much you have to get to the next gas station? Have you ever played around with that? Has anyone ever missed it? <laughs> Sometimes that's how we are with our own spiritual walk when it comes to drinking. We think we know the amount of water consumption we need to make it. We think we know that if I can just drink two bottles or two gallons of water, I'll make it through the week. And the Lord's saying, you're treating your spiritual walk like that gasoline tank. Don't do that. Don't play around. There's too much going on out here where we've got to be consciously aware of the need and the desire to drink, but more importantly, to transition this to living water for someone else to drink. And so, Father, I thank you right now. If that's you, just raise your hand right now. If you just recognize right now, there's a need for you 
rather spiritually, in your finances, in your health, you need to drink. You need a drink right now that you've, you are, are spiritually dehydrated. You, you are spiritually depleted. If that's you, I want to pray for you right now. Father, I thank you. Lord, I thank you for the throne room. Lord, I know that even in this moment, most of us have come here dry, dehydrated. Lord, in the need of a drink. In the need of a drink, whether it's water in our finances, in our health, in our marriages, Lord. Everywhere we look, it's just dry. Everything we touch is just dry. But you remind us, Lord, you said, even in Isaiah 44, 3, you said, I will pour out water on a thirsty land. I will provide healing streams to dry ground. And I will pour out my spirit on your offspring and on your descendants. Lord, I thank you right now that you are pouring out your spirit in this place. Lord, I thank you right now for rivers of living water flowing, not just in us, Lord, but through us. Lord, I pray even now that you would repair any broken cisterns, Lord, any areas in our life, Lord, that as much as we're receiving, there's something preventing us from giving it back out. Lord, don't just make us thirsty. Make us a people that can be drunk, that can be, that can be a drink to a thirsty generation. Lord, we need you. We're desperate for you. We're desperate for you, Lord. We're desperate to drink from you. Give us the same desperation to become a drink for you. Change us, Lord. Allow us to see it the way you see it. In Jesus' name, amen, amen, amen. You know, it's amazing that even in this moment, and this is how Jesus is, it doesn't even say he left that place getting a drink. You can go back and read it. As thirsty as he came to the well, it doesn't even show that he got his drink. I believe he did get a drink, but the drink he got was to see this woman produce something in her that allowed her to be a drink. That is the drink that Jesus is looking for in every one of our lives. It's not that we would drink, that he would see us become a drink for someone else. Amen. Love you all. Thanks for listening. To learn more about our church or to watch video sermons, visit gracecovdc.org.